Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Real. Good morning. Um, so 2023, which we're now in, sorry to scare you, sees a brand new life stage hurtling towards our particular household. And it is not as someone rudely suggested last week that I turn 40 this year. (laughs) No, the the new life stage I'm talking about that is hurtling towards us far too quickly for my liking is secondary school. Secondary school is about to hit our household. And um, yeah, uh, I'm preparing I'm gleaning as much wisdom as I can from different people in the room, and so many of you will have experienced that. And that's largely because with the onrushing of secondary school comes another quite significant parenting challenge in the world that we live in, especially as we're trying to follow Jesus, and it's this, the question of technology. Man, I'm so glad I went to school a long time ago. And I'm a little bit terrified about doing this next season, but I'm trusting the Lord. And very thankful that loads of you have gone ahead of me and made loads of mistakes and got lots of successes so I can learn from you. And before Christmas, I was doing some reading. I was looking at a few things, and I read something incredibly provocative about this topic, technology and parenting. And it was provocative not just because it's about technology and parenting, but because he points to um, something underneath the question of technology which is a far more fundamental question whether you're a parent or not. It's a challenge that we all face. And so I thought I'd share this quote with you to start us off this morning. It's by a guy called Andy Crouch, and he's an expert in theology and, and technology. This is what he says. I've spent a fair amount of time the last few years talking with parents and teachers about technology, and the one opinion... I've securely formed regarding kids specifically is this. There is nothing more seductive and more sad than winning at high school. High school is a game you shouldn't care to win, though some do win. I mean the popularity game. The really sad thing is that it is not only kids who want to win at high school. The biggest reason parents make poor decisions about technology is that they want their kids to win at high school. He says, I've come to think of winning at high school as a kind of catch-all substitute term for every game in life you are urged to play but should not care to play. Don't win at high school. Don't win at Harvard or Oxbridge. Don't win at Twitter or Instagram. Don't settle, he says, for anything but the life that really is life. That's pretty provocative, isn't it? It ate away in my brain through most of the Christmas holiday as I was considering what it would mean to us. And I think what he's tapping into is this fundamental challenge that we all face, whether we're parents or at high school, as some of us are, Um, whether that is imminent or not likely at all for us. And it's this fundamental challenge. The human heart 
which you have and I have, longs for the power to be the master of its own destiny. The human heart longs for the power to be the master of its own destiny. It does not like being weak. And so when we find a weakness or a limit, we're tempted to do whatever it takes to grasp for strength, or at least the appearance of strength. When we hit a weakness and we're, we're concerned, we do whatever it takes to overcome it, to, to look strong, to be strong. And so as parents, what he's talking about here is the challenge that we really want to avoid our children being at the mercy of other children because we know what children are like, because we were once children. We want to do whatever it takes to avoid them being left out. We want to do whatever it takes to avoid them being put down or laughed at or ignored. We'll do whatever it takes to avoid that unnecessary weakness. To win at high school. That resonate for anyone else? I find it deeply challenging. And the kicker he's pointing at that we really need to look at this morning is this, that in the process of um, grasping for strength where we found weakness in ourselves, it requires us to deny, to ignore, or to cover up the weakness or the limit that we found in ourselves. And in the process, we are rejecting who we currently are before God. I get to the good news, don't worry. To grasp for strength when we're faced with our own weakness is to deny, to ignore, to cover up our weakness and in the process to deny who we are. Whatever winning at high school is for you, because not all of us is winning at high school, it might be winning in some other sphere of life where we feel weak but we don't want to be. Whatever that means to you, it presents you because it presents each one of us with a temptation to sacrifice what you do have, to gain what you don't have, and won't satisfy you. The prize of winning at high school glitters, but it isn't gold. Jesus had a pithy one-liner about this. He says, it's on the slide, What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? And what Andy Crouch is saying is that many parents faced with this dilemma assist their children in forfeiting their soul to win at high school. Many of us forfeit our soul to win at something that isn't worth winning. It's not the life that is truly life. Friends, conscious of our weakness, conscious of our limits, the temptation is to grasp for strength or power or affection or popularity, or reputation, or some sense of financial security that is beyond what God has given us, to grasp for a protection that is humanly wise but not godly wise. And in doing so, we deny, we ignore, or we cover up who we are and leave ourselves behind. You win at high school, but you lose your soul. And this isn't a problem that's um, unique to the 21st century. Augustine, in the 4th century, he put it like this. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? If you're pretending to be something you're not, how can you ever draw near to the God who loves you as you are? 
Teresa of Avila, this is like one of my top five quotes of all time. She was a mystic from the Middle Ages, and she says almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-awareness. Man alive. You're welcome. And the more you think about it and the more you reflect, the more you go, that is so true. She knew what she was talking about. In the 1600s, in her Carmelite nunnery, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-awareness. We just don't know who we are because we've denied it, ignored it, or covered it up for the sake of something that glitters but isn't gold. And I want to put it to us this morning that intentionally choosing not to win at high school, whatever that means for you, is perhaps one of the hardest things we do in spiritual formation. It's one of the hardest things we do as we follow Jesus. Because everyone else is doing it. But Jesus put it like this, narrow is the road that leads to life. So in all kinds of situations, we're tempted to deny, ignore, or cover up our weakness. Yet here is the truth, because I did tell you there was good news. God is not disappointed in your weakness. When you look in your life and you find weakness, God is not disappointed. In fact, he glories in it. Turn to page one of the Bible and you find the story of Adam and Eve who discover that they have limits, that they are weak, that there are things that they do not have, and they reach to lay hold of what they do not have and have not been given. They reject their weakness and grasp for something that God did not give them and they weren't supposed to have. They find weakness and they grasp. And in the process, what happened? They lost who they were and they lost what they had. Flick a bit further into your Bible and you find the story of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who intentionally takes on human weakness. Who lives a life of human weakness and limitation. Who looks in himself and finds weakness. Deliberately taking it on. He needed sleep. He needed to eat. He had finite emotional energy and needed to withdraw from the crowd. He was misunderstood by people he could have convinced but chose not to. He embraced human weakness. And yet when presented with the choice to grasp for something he did not have, repeatedly chooses not to. But to acknowledge his weakness and to trust in the Father. Three times in his temptation with Satan, he's tempted to grasp and chooses not to. Repeatedly, the crowds want him to do stuff to go beyond human weakness, and he chooses not to. Friends, God is not disappointed by our limitations and our weaknesses. God is not disappointed by the things that you do not have. God is not sitting up in heaven this morning looking down and saying, Adam, if only you were a little bit smarter, I could do a lot with you. He's not looking down and saying, if only you were just a little bit more popular. If only you'd won at high school, 
man, you would see the kingdom come in power in your day. He's not looking down at heaven going, if only your fashion sense was a little bit better, people would listen to you, and man, you'd see revival. He's not looking down at our time together this morning and saying, Hope Church, if only you were a little bit bigger. If only what you did was a little bit shinier, a little bit more excellent, then you would see my kingdom come in power, but your weakness means I can't. That's not what God's saying. The Lord looks at us and he sees our weaknesses and he rubs his hands together because they are the places where his glory can truly be seen. In fact, it's when we cover over our weaknesses that we prevent God from doing things. God's purpose is not defeated by our weakness. And I think over the last four years, there have been a few things I've really had to work through with the Lord. And this is one of them. Because on a bad morning, I can sit there and I can say to God, Hey God, four years ago, I'm sure we were a lot stronger like we had this great mix of gifts and a, a three full-time pastors. The church was full, six kids groups, various things going on. We did street ministry and alpha and this, that, and the other. God, we were so much stronger. You could have done so much more with us if you didn't take us to this place of weakness. And very gently, the Lord coaxes me out of my self-pity. And he convinces me again and again of this truth. The Lord is not disappointed in our weakness. The Lord is not disappointed in our limitations. The Lord is not disappointed by what we lack. Strength does not impress God. Should we turn to the Bible together? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And a few years ago, I heard something that really unlocked the two letters to the Corinthians in the New Testament for me. And it, it was this. I, I heard about what Corinth was like. So I want to tell you what Corinth was like before we read the passage. And there are two people. They're smart. They're called Kiampa and Rosna, which are both great names. They write this about the Corinth that Paul is writing to. They say, Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan, and religiously pluralistic, accustomed to visits by impressive traveling speakers, and obsessed with status, self-promotion, and personal rights. First things first, does that remind you of anywhere? To those people, Paul writes this at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Where's the person who won at high school? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. 
but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks and Brits and Nigerians and South Africans and Brazilians and Americans. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Not many won at high school. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. To the people who loved strength, to the city that was desperate to win at high school, who loved to have life together, Paul writes two letters, and the major theme throughout both is weakness. We need to pay attention. N.T. Wright summarizes 1 Corinthians with this quote, He says, see the world through the lens of the cross. That's what the whole letter is telling the church in Corinth to do. See the world through the lens of the cross. Later, they ask Paul for his credentials. They're like, had some really impressive speakers come. And they're like, hey, Paul, why should we listen to you? They're way more impressive. Show us your CV. Give us your numbers. Show us your KPIs. How many people got saved on your last crusade? How many people on your alpha course? What's your income? Show us your qualifications that qualify you to speak to us. And N.T. Wright says, Paul, in response, turns, lifts up his shirt, and shows them the scars on his back from the beatings he took for preaching Christ crucified. To the city that loves strength, Paul goes on and on and on about weakness. And I want to put it to us that if we were to look at high school, whatever that is for you, if we were to look at the games that we are urged to play but should not play through the lens of the cross, we wouldn't try to win. If we were to look at the games that we're urged to play but our best not to play through the lens of the cross, we would not play them. My friends, the call of God is not about winning at high school. Praise the Lord, because I did not. Rather, in our weakness is the opportunity for the strength and glory of God. great example of this is a young man who was hiding from the enemy because he was so afraid when God appeared to him. And the Lord comes to him, his name was Gideon, and says, Gideon, you're going to command my army. And Gideon says, not me. I'm the weakest man from the weakest family in the weakest tribe of all of Israel. You don't want me. And God said, yes, I do. And so Gideon goes, all right. Gathers an army, 32,000 people. God's first task, reduce 32,000 to 300. Because the Lord is not disappointed in weakness. God is not afraid of weakness. 
through the lens of the cross, weakness is the opportunity for the glory of God to be seen. Where are you weak? I'm not talking about laziness. It's really important I make this clear. I'm not talking about a lack of discipline or a lack of responsibility. I'm not talking about being half-hearted in life. Not at all. They are negligence in the kingdom of God. There's a story Jesus tells about a master who gives three servants talents. One of them wraps it up and buries it in the ground, and he's rebuked. That's laziness. That's half-heartedness. That's lack of responsibility. Now, when we're talking about weakness, what we're saying is realizing that we are a servant whom God has given five talents to and not pretending that we've got 50. The Lord does not need you to pretend that you've got 50 talents. The Lord has given you five. And he's delighted about it. And he isn't disappointed that you haven't got 50 because if he wanted you to have 50, he would have given you 50. Weakness is knowing that the master gave you five talents, not acting like you've got 50. Paul says, I worked harder than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Now, I'm not talking about laziness, friends, when we talk about weakness. We're talking about a faithfulness in the face of weakness. Recognizing who we are in this moment before God and not pretending to be something else. And God does grow us. I've got lots of good stories about God growing us supernaturally. Several things in my life I'm like, I was rubbish at, and I prayed, and I gave it a go, and God made me good. True stories. But that's not today's preach. God does grow us. He does love to fill in our gaps with his strength. He does enable us to do things that we could never have done as he works in our lives. He does. It's not about fatalism. But I'm simply saying this. God loves to work with those who are aware of their weakness and humbly place their faith in his strength. Are you aware of your weakness? Are you humbly placing your faith in his strength? Killer quote for you now from a guy called Paul Barrett on this passage from 1 Corinthians. Paul Barnett, sorry. My notes are scruffy. That's much clearer. He says, The grace and power of God interlocks with human lives at the point of mortal weakness. You want the grace and power of God? You've got to be mortally weak for it to interlock with your life. You don't see many fridge magnets with that one, do you? We should make one. The grace and power of God interlock with human lives at the point of mortal weakness. Friends, weakness, your weakness, does not disappoint God. It attracts him. Because it is the perfect frame for the beautiful painting he is creating with his grace. Your weakness does not disappoint God. The opposite, however, is true. As you read your Bible, you will find that God refuses to work with those who think they are better than they actually are. It's not our weakness that stops God's working. It's pride. And as we look at this, the real question that confronts us is, do we actually understand the cross? 
If Paul's saying, see the world through the lens of the cross, and we're going, man, this is challenging. We have to go, have we really understood it? Because it is the place, of course, we've just taken communion, where the blood of Jesus was poured out for our forgiveness that we could approach God. It was. It was the place where the head of the serpent was crushed and evil was defeated. It was. It is the place where mercy and grace flow like a river into the lives of those who come to the Lord. It is. It is the place where we have to humbly come before to receive forgiveness and the life of God in our lives. But what it also does is it shows us how God has chosen to always work in the world. The cross is not the exception. It is a special moment, but it is not a special case in the working of the Lord. The cross shows us how God has always chosen to work. God is not disappointed with our weakness. In fact, it's when we live faithfully in the face of weakness that he rubs his hands together because the power of his kingdom can in that place be truly demonstrated. The call is this. Will we humbly embrace our weakness? It means saying a healthy and sacrificial no to things in life to protect our ability to say a hope-filled yes and watch to see what God might do. Humbly embracing weakness means saying a healthy and sacrificial no to winning at high school to protect our ability to say a hope-filled yes and see what the Lord is going to do. Do you want some examples? I'll give you some. Fasting. We've all got a limit of time, right? How many hours are in your day? 24. Your day? 24? Anyone not got 24 hours in their day? We've all got 24 hours in a day. We are all limited human beings. There is only 24 hours in a day. And how many days in a week? Seven. Thank you. We have a limit of time. The discipline of fasting, one of the things behind it is about saying a healthy and sacrificial no to preparing and eating food sometimes so that we can say a hope-filled yes to time with God. Because I've only got so much time. I might have gone too hard too fast. (laughs) Let's come back a step. Bedtime. This is a lesson I learned in my 30s. Anyone younger than me, you're very welcome to it. I wish I'd got hold of it when I was younger. Hands up, who needs to sleep? Um, Any words to describe what happens when you don't sleep very well? Grumpy, we cry, cry, make bad decisions. Yeah, we're not very good on lack of sleep, are we? And so if you stay up late, you inevitably sleep in late. And then you are rushed to your first thing of the day, which for many people will be school or work or tending to a child that's screaming at you. We all have a limit of sleep. But this causes to say a healthy and sacrificial no to staying up late and doing whatever it is we might do in that place to win at high school most of the time. What is it? Your dad says nothing good happens after midnight? To get up early so that we can be correctly orientated at the beginning of our day 
in the presence of God. Healthy sacrificial no, so we can say a hope-filled yes and see what the Lord might do. Hospitality. We all have a limit of time. For some of us, the call is we need to say a healthy and sacrificial no to some of our exclusive family time, which is an idol in our world, so that we can say a hope-filled yes to welcoming the lonely into our homes. Because you can't do that without sacrificing something else. Exclusive family time, good thing. Also good to sacrifice it to welcome the lonely. Some of us need to say no to having the perfect clean and tidy house. Those of you who have already done it, you can lay hands on the others at the end of the meeting. So that we can say yes to hospitality. Because when you welcome people into your house, your house doesn't stay perfect, neat and tidy. It turns into something else. And so we need to say no to the limit of time to keep our house tidy for the sake of welcoming other people into our homes and being hospitable, which is a command of God, by the way. Can I ramp up again? I was with some other leaders recently. One of them is a, a lady about my age. She was single. And she was describing to us the decision that she'd made because of the limit of emotional energy in her life to say no to dating so that she could say a hope-filled yes to Jesus and to her church community. I was like, man alive, that is powerful. She's like, I go on dates, the mystery, the questions, the everything else just cuts me hard, and it ruins me. And so I've gone, actually, do you know what I want more than any of that? I want Jesus. And church community doesn't do the same to me. So I've said no to dating. I'm saying yes to church community and Jesus, and I'm going to see what God might do. I was like, wow. In our weakness, sometimes we need to say a healthy and sacrificial no so that we can say a hope-filled yes and see what God might do. I'm not prescribing singleness for everyone who is single. I'm just saying that not everyone should get married. So, we have limits. We have weaknesses. The call of God is to say no to winning at high school. Yes to cherishing our soul and to enjoying Jesus and to watch what he will do. And I want to suggest to you this is a vital practice if you want to become like Jesus. You will not become like Jesus if you will not become aware of your weaknesses and in that place choose to trust in God. Know yourself. Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses. Know your limitations. Say some healthy and sacrificial no's so that you're able to say hope-filled yeses for the sake of the kingdom to see what God might do. Can I invite you to stand? Band, do you want to come back up? I want to invite you just turn your heart to God for a moment. Do whatever you feel like you need to do to do that. You might like to kneel. You might like to stick your hands out. You might like to close your eyes, look skywards. If you're feeling brave, why don't you say, Holy Spirit, show me where I'm weak and don't know it. Tell me where I'm pretending to be strong.
if as I've been speaking or even now as we're praying, you feel the Lord putting his finger on something, I want to invite you to make that conscious, intentional decision to stop covering over your weakness. There is no fake it till you make it in the kingdom of God. And we're going to worship. There's going to be some space. I expect we may have some prophetic words in a moment. Who knows? But this is an opportunity for two things. Number one, to fix your eyes on the one whose weakness is stronger than the strongest human strength. To lay what you have before him to see what he might do. And it's an opportunity to call on him where you are weak that you would have the privilege of seeing his strength and his power and his grace come as his kingdom extends.